Hello, and welcome to the Rebuilding Relationships Podcast. My name is Carrie Vasquez, and I'm a relationship coach and strategist. But most importantly, I am a Jesus lover. I'm a wife, a mom to five children, and a grandmom. Each week, I'll be here with a guest or a message to help you love yourself deeper, fall in love again, and restore your relationships with God and others. Now let's get started. Welcome everyone to the Rebuilding Relationships podcast. Today I am here with a very special guest. Um, His name is Michael Arechavaleta and he is a business owner and a life coach, a motivational speaker. He is a single dad to four amazing kids who are all special needs and he was a wonderful husband to his wife of 16 years, Viviana, um, who passed away last July, so it's been about seven months now. He is here today um, to share his amazing story, and I'm gonna use his words um, of turning tragedy into triumph. So Michael, thank you so much. It's a true honor to have you on the show, and I'm so happy to have you here, welcome. Thank you very much. It's a real, it's a real blessing and an honor to be here. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, when I saw, so we are in a business group together, um, and yeah. when I saw you um, introduce yourself to the group, uh, I was blown away, um, and I was truly inspired by your story. Uh, I thought your story was one um, of of grief and sadness but also, as you said, of triumph um, and just figuring out how to really just rebuild your life after having such a great loss of your wife. So take us back. Um, let's kind of go back to the beginning. Take us back to uh, when you met Viviana and and how that all transpired. Okay, well, I met Viviana um, I was a 20-year-old kid. <laughs> I was 20 years old working at a nightclub called Mango's Tropical Cafe on South Beach. Oh, wow. um, and I basically got paid to party all night mm-hmm. uh, because I was a host. And I started there as a busboy and I worked my way up the ladder in one night. Um, I was there sweeping floors and cleaning tables. And I was dancing because I love, I love to dance. I love to dance. I love Hispanic music. I love to dance. And I started dancing and the uh, club manager saw me. He's like, why don't you get up on the bar? I was like, are you serious? He's like, yeah. I was like, okay. <laughs> you ain't got to tell me twice. So I got up at the bar and I started dancing and I was the first male host. Um, from what they told me, I was the first male host at Angles Tropical Cafe. And all I did was stand outside with a menu in my hand and pick girls off of the street and pull them into the club dancing. And so one night I met, I met Viviana. Um, She wasn't a patron at the club. She actually was just sitting outside at a, at a stand um, with a friend of mine that I knew when I was getting off of work. And she was just, Oh my God, smoking hot. So hot. And I remember just, you know, I, I had like the confidence of a 20 year old guy, you know what I mean? I, I worked out, I did martial arts since I was very, very young. I was working out, you know, four or five times a week. And I thought I was not just not good for women. And um, I just kind of like, you know, nudged myself close to her. And I, read, I laid, I actually did this. I laid my head on her shoulder. 
I looked up at her and I told her, you're going to be my girl. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Viviana was five years older than me. You know, this is a woman. And uh, she kind of looks at me like, this kid's crazy, you know? <laughs> um, but, but we actually ended up, like, always running into each other as I was going into her. She was leaving because she lived in the area. And, uh, and she ended up working inside of Mango's Tropical Fire. I don't know if it's still like this, but there was a separate part of the building, which was a clothing store where they sold all fancy, you know, Versace and Gucci clothing, sunglasses, boots, stuff to sell to tourists, right? Right. Um, and she started working there. And Viviana was so gorgeous that when she would be standing out front, she'd be leaning against the door. And when she would move, because there was like tables up front, you know, where people were there on Ocean Drive, you know, having dinner and whatnot from Mango Tropical Cafe. They would get scared because they thought she was a mannequin. That's how gorgeous <laughs> this girl was. And um, I remember I was always hitting on her, always hitting on her, always hitting on her. And she did, you know, but that wasn't anything new for me. And I mean, she was gorgeous. Everybody, everybody at Mango was always hitting on her. Because she started working there, everybody. And um, I was always giving her, I gave that girl my number. I don't know how many times. She gave me the wrong number, like at least two or three times. And um, one day, I remember, they put her, uh, I was working at that side of the front side of the club. And I'm, I'm there, I'm talking to her, and I'm like, listen, we've got to go out. We've got to go out. And um, she told me. Well, tonight's your night, but you're not going to get off until about four, five o'clock in the morning, because uh, they had tra- they had made her start to work the night shift. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I- "I'm going to get off in a half an hour because it's real slow." Right then, I went and I ran to my manager. And I was like, "Hey, listen, I've got a date with the Argentinian girl next door. I've got to go." He's like, "Yeah, I know the girl from next door. You? <laughs> yes." I gotta go. He's like, go, 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 go. <laughs> By the time she was off work, I was standing outside with a rose in my hand. I could cry right now. And, uh, <gasps> yeah, yeah. That's yeah, so that, and, and that's, and that's, and then from there we went to a diner mm-hmm. and, uh, we, see, I didn't even know this. She told me this later, but she never expected for me to be waiting for her when she got off. <laughs> of her intention was to blow me off. She was trying to blow me off. She was like, oh, you know, this was your chance, but the stars aren't aligned. You know what I mean? That's it. So when, she, you know, she sees me there waiting for her with a rose, she's like, okay, what am I going to do now? I already told the guy I would go out with him. So she told me that in her head, she was thinking, okay, I'm going to go out with him. Well have a meal, whatever. I'm hungry, mm-hmm. and I'll just tell him that I don't like him, and he'll leave me alone. Right. So we go out. There was this little diner right there on, on Collins Avenue. went there, and I had just eaten. I mean, I couldn't believe that my boss let me off because I had just taken my, my dinner break in the middle right. of that night. Uh, and I did, so I wasn't hungry, so she ordered a chicken Caesar salad. I remember it like it was yesterday. And she's there eating, and I mean, I was a player. I was a player because I worked in a night. I'm just being real. This is just reality, okay? I'm just telling you the truth, okay? I was a player. I mean, I worked in a nightclub, and when you have that kind of traffic of women, I mean, it doesn't matter if you get blown off by two or three because there's 10 more behind them within an hour. And so 
um, I kind of became a master of figuring out, you know, the different types of women, what do they like. And so I was trying to figure out what kind of guy she likes so I could be you know what I mean? Get what I wanted, right? And so um I'm, you know, throwing out all different types of conversation. And this girl is just like, yes, no. Uh-huh. <laughs> and she's just not in the conversation at all. She's not into the conversation at all. Until I said something, like I threw something that I'm not going to say right now. And I don't even remember exactly what it was. But I said something crass. You know what I mean? I said something vulgar to her just to see her reaction. And she, I remember she was eating and she looked up at me from her plate. And she said, you know, I'm a Christian, right? Mm. And I was like, oh, no, I did not know that. I did not know that. No, I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, a, I'm a Catholic, though. And I told her how I, you know, I was like, yeah, you know, when I was a little boy, I was an altar boy, and my grandma was at Sunday school, and I used to help the priest with the sacraments and this and that. And all of a sudden, she's interested now, right? Okay. And she's like, oh, really? Oh, so what church do you go to? Um, and I was like, ah, well, you know, normally I would have lied and told her I was some anointed dude that was, you know, people falling out and this and that. But I knew I really couldn't do that because she knew where I worked, she knew my lifestyle and everything. So I was like, ah, you know, I haven't really been to church. And I was like, well, we moved and, you know, then the church wasn't so close anymore. And my grandparents, they were, they were sickly and they were disabled and it was just hard to get to church. So we stopped going. Oh, but you read the Bible, though, right? <laughs> I'm like, well, you know, not really, no, not really. And she's like, but you pray. And I was like, uh, well, you know, I pray like everybody else, you know, when you're in the back of a cop car and you're like, Jesus, please get me out of this one, you know, only an emergency, you know, like that. And so all of a sudden she's interested and she starts talking. Mm-hmm. And she talks for about... Two hours. <laughs> That's great. Two and a half hours. And the interesting is, the interesting thing is that what she talked to me about were things that I was really, really going through in my life. Mm. Really, really going through. This girl didn't know me, mm-hmm. but she was speaking things like she did. Uh, she was talking to me about not having peace, not being able to sleep, being afraid of death. Things that were really, really like affecting me in, in my life at that time mm-hmm. because I had a friend and we don't know whether he, uh, you know, died or jumped from the roof of a seven-story building. And I remember going, you know, to his funeral and, mm-hmm. and, and, and the gang colors that we used to wear from our neighborhood and everything. And it was just a really, really bad situation. And uh, I remember talking to my best friend and I was asking, like, where's our friend? You know, what happened to him? Mm-hmm. You believe in heaven or hell or anything else? Right. And he was like, I don't know, we're 17 year old kids. He's like, already mm-hmm. asking me these big questions about life and everything. And so I had a, I, I, I did have a, a, a few years there where I was very, 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 very heavily involved in drug use, mm-hmm. marijuana, cocaine, LSD, acid. I mean, we were making mm-hmm. drugs from stuff that was growing in our neighborhood. I mean, it was pretty crazy. Yeah. It was pretty crazy on the streets of Miami Beach uh, back in the day. And, you know, it was just, I, I, I didn't be able to sleep. I used to have nightmares. Mm. Um, 
they're actually called night terrors where you're just having the same reoccurring dream. But I used to dream about me dying in mm. every single different possible way. Mm. And so I would be taking drugs, you know, just to be able to sleep, to try to escape it all. Right. And, you know, this girl is talking to me, all of this stuff. And all of a sudden, I'm just like, at the end, at the end, I remember she told me these words, and I'll never forget. Mm. At the end of two hours, she says, knowing what little or much you know about God, if you were to walk out of this diner right now, get hit by a car and die, what's going to happen to you? Mm. And I stay quiet for a second. I said, I'm going to hell with some gasoline draws on. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I said. That's exactly what I said. And so um, I walked her home that evening. I walked her home that evening. And I remember I had a pack of cigarettes you know, in my, in my pocket. And I just, for no reason, she didn't tell me cigarettes were bad. She didn't mm-hmm. tell me why you smoking or anything like that. I just grabbed them and I threw them in the gutter. Following day, I bought a new pack. It's not like I quit smoking that day, but it was just something. Yeah. She triggered something in me that right. made me want something more right. out of life. Right. And better for and so, and so, you know, she, she kept talking to me, but it wasn't more, it wasn't like we were trying to date. She was just mm-hmm. talking to me, trying to get to know me. And I really fell in love with her as a person. Mm-hmm. I fell in because I, I knew she was gorgeous. Yeah. I knew she was dropped there gorgeous. But when I actually got to know her, there's no doubt in my mind that I was able to meet, know, or to love and appreciate one of the most amazing human beings mm-hmm. ever to live. Yeah. And so, yeah. Uh, yeah, I fell head over here. Yeah, I'm sure. Head over here. Uh, she sounds amazing just from that alone. And I will say, I probably should have started with this. Um, today, at least the day we're recording this episode, it's her birthday. And yes, so you wanted to honor her today by doing this interview um, in in her memory, in her honor. So, you know, we say happy birthday to her in heaven, right? So I'm sure that... You know, I hadn't thought about it like that until you said it. Yeah. But yeah, this is her first birthday in heaven. So happy birthday, baby. Yeah, she is celebrating with God and Jesus and all the angels up there. <laughs> oh. uh, hey, if they're throwing any type of party, the other's going to be at it. Yes. I'll tell you that. I'll tell you that. If there's any type of a party, she's going to be at it. Yes, and I'm sure there is. So I so I commend you. And, and again, it's a true honor to even, um, you know, to be a part of this um, today. So... Thank you. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, sometimes you have to go, you know, headstrong, just just, just blow through things that scare you. And I've been, you know, this is her first birthday since she died. And I, uh, for weeks, I have been telling people, I don't want anybody, don't get offended if you don't talk to me. Mm -hmm. Don't get offended if you don't hear from me. I'm calling in the babysitter extra early. I don't want to have to take kids to school. I'm not making them up. You know what I mean? And so... Yeah, I, I, you know, I've been dreading this day, but when you sent me the invitation to be on your show and I saw that one of the open dates was her birthday, I saw no other way, you know, how could I not, you yeah. know, do it on her birthday to honor her and, you know. 
awesome. what better birthday what what better birthday present can I give her? Yeah. Talk about the love that we share. That's awesome. That is awesome. That is so powerful. Um, so you fell head over heels, not just for her looks, but while she it, she was beautiful. And, um, and, you know, when I saw her picture, um, I, you know, like I said, she looked like an angel before. She is, she's absolutely beautiful. But you fell in love with her heart and who she was as a person um, over that period of time. So how long before you guys got married? Well, <laughs> if it would have been up to me, it probably would have been about two months. <laughs> um no, actually, okay, so we met, actually, we met um, in about August or September, and we started dating in December, because mm-hmm. um, we didn't start dating right away. We actually got to know each other a little bit, okay. and uh, because she really didn't want to date me. Yeah. She really did not want to date me at all, but, you know, I was just tenacious, and I was showing improvement and showing progress, and I was really changing my life around for sincerely though sincerely not because i just wanted to be with her i had a sincere encounter with christ um i'd love to that's a whole nother podcast oh, in itself yes, i'd love to tell you that story one day do it. but i had a sincere, i had a sincere encounter with christ and he really did transform my life awesome. you know i was able to get away from drugs i got a real job awesome. <laughs> I, I ended up getting a real job um, I started out as an apprentice, you know, in an electrical contracting business, and, and they, you know, I just worked my way up the ladder, and mm-hmm. here I am, a business owner, and mm-hmm. now I'm hiring people. Awesome. Um, awesome. But uh, you know, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't get married right away uh, because she really didn't want to marry me. <laughs> she knew I was much younger, very inexperienced. I mean, I didn't know how to do anything except. <laughs> and so she's like, oh, you know, I've already, you know, been through this, been there, done that. You know, you need to grow. You've never even lived on your own. I went from living at my grandma's house to moving in with her. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, she, she knew she, it was going to be rough with me for a while, yeah. but she saw potential. Yeah, yeah. She always she always told me that she saw me for the man that I would become. That's awesome. awesome. That is awesome. So we ended up, I, I actually proposed to her, wow, I guess it would be 17 years ago today, because I proposed to her on her birthday. Wow. And she's like, this is my birthday gift. <laughs> like, if you come, like, if you want to propose to me on my birthday, this is not, this is not good news. Oh. <laughs> you proposed to her on her birthday. Yes, 17 wow. years ago today, on your birthday. Wow. I remember she was like, <laughs> trying to make me happy yeah. <laughs> but, it, but, but and, and 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 you know once once I actually got her to say yes yeah. and then it was another problem with actually getting her to go through with it because she called it off like twice <laughs> yeah she called it off like twice she postponed it and everything and I was just relentless yeah. I was relentless. I knew that she. I, I. I knew that she was what I wanted. Yeah. You know, you could, when you find that one, you could know. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. And so we ended up getting married um, on July nineteenth mm-hmm. of two thousand and three. We were together for sixteen years. Hmm. Wow. And we have uh, four beautiful children. Mm-hmm. Our oldest is Denise. She's fifteen. Okay. 
Our second is Gabriel. He's 11. Mm-hmm. Elijah is 5. And Asher is 4. Awesome. So you have three boys and one girl. Yep, the oldest is a girl, and then it's three little boys after that. Awesome. That's Daddy's little princess. Oh, oh, that is amazing. That is amazing. Fast forward. So tell me, um, we mentioned a little bit um, about your children being special needs. Tell us about your kids a little bit. All of my kids are on the ASD spectrum, mm-hmm. which is the autism spectrum disorder. I don't really think of it as a disorder mm-hmm. uh, because children with autism or Asperger's, um, they are, their brains develop differently when they're little. Mm-hmm. And so uh, while a normal baby is doing nothing but looking at you in the face and mimicking you and, and you know, mama, dada, you know, autistic child is playing off in their own world. They're learning, but their brains become kind of like super highways for other types of information. Mm-hmm. They're interested in things other than people mm-hmm. <laughs> and socializing. Right. And so we develop this um, social communication um, delayed development. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, my daughter, Denise, uh, she's on the Asperger's end of the spectrum. Okay. I like to think of ASD as being a stick. Mm-hmm. And then on one end of the stick, you have people who are very high functioning mm-hmm. um, and they need very little support. Mm-hmm. And I would say that those people have more Asperger's. Um, and then you have people on the other end of the spectrum that's more of the autism end of the spectrum that they need a lot more support and care mm-hmm. um, for daily, you know, uh, function and, you know, just day to day life right. and being able to communicate to the outside world. Mm -hmm. And so uh, Denise and Gabriel both have Asperger's. Mm -hmm. Uh, We didn't even know that Denise had Asperger's until she was a teenager because in girls it's much harder to detect Mm -hmm. um, because girls, when they're smaller, statistically speaking, on average, they're much smarter than boys. Mm -hmm. And and so they're able to mimic a whole lot more. You know, they, they... they see that one popular girl and they're like, well, I'm going to copy her. Right. Whereas the boy who has Asperger's or autism is either right in your face, you know, talking to you, or he's very retracted and he likes to play alone. And so they don't really pick up on the mimicking and being able to be socially cohesive as well as the girls. So it's easier to, to, to detect it in the boys. Right. Now, when the girls be- Become teenagers and they start liking boys and start developing and then they find that social awkwardness where they have trouble making and keeping friends and mm-hmm. and they're very self-critical and they have trouble expressing their emotions and putting their thoughts into words and focusing and everything else and so that's it that's when it becomes more evident mm-hmm. in the girls okay. um and so uh gabriel we knew that uh, we actually thought that he had ADHD when he was little because he had to go through, through speech therapy right. and uh, he was actually developing his own language. Right. <laughs> you know, he used to call dinosaur the raw mm-hmm. and you just had to know that the raw meant dinosaur. Right. Um, and so um, Elijah, who is five now, he's pretty much done with speech therapy. He's uh, speaking in full sentences and... Awesome. Half of the time, I can't get him to shut up. <laughs> but it's nice now to be able to communicate with him and everything, yes. even up until uh, the time that uh, Viviana died. Um, he, he was 
you know, he was following basically the same uh, developmental pattern as Gabriel. Mm -hmm. So we weren't too worried uh, about that. But uh, interesting fact, um, just, you know, to show how life can kind of throw uh, curveballs at you. Um, We had Liam and Denise and, well, I call Gabriel Liam, Mm -hmm. middle name. Okay. Um, but we, uh, we we had Denise and Gabriel, and we, we thought we were done. Yeah. We thought we had two kids. We had the girl and the boy. We had yes. a pair. We're done. Yes. So Elijah was a surprise. We were not planning on having Elijah. Mm-hmm. And actually, when we had Elijah, we were not in the best place in our marriage. We mm-hmm. were actually um, getting ready to get separated, and we were fighting a lot. Because one thing that uh, a lot of people didn't know about Viviana, and I didn't know about Viviana, and I think that's part of the reason... Uh, why I got to know her and I loved her so much is because I'm the one who really, really got to know her. Right. Um, you know, she she was very, very misunderstood for most of her life by her family, by her peers, by people at church and everything because she was also on the spectrum mm. and didn't know it for her entire life. She was, wow. she was not diagnosed. Wow. And so, you know, there were many, many times where I thought that woman just didn't love me. Mm-hmm. Like, I couldn't understand. How could this woman make my life either heaven or hell, <laughs> given all, any given Sunday, you know? <laughs> uh, and so, um, I, I, you know, and, and she was not very affectionate. You know, I'm, I'm the affectionate person. You know, I'm the nurturer. I'm the caregiver. Her Yana was not like that. But, mm-hmm. she, but she knew how to give love in her own way. Right. And so, you know, as we grow and we mature in relationships, but that was a key factor. I mean, it was really, really a a, a real source of, of problems and conflict between us, just not knowing that fact and, and, and not understanding why she just needed to be alone sometimes. Right. And so once, once Elijah was born, uh, because... There's a, a, a four-year difference between the, the girl and the first boy. And we saw that when the girl turned 12 and the boy was eight, they weren't, they weren't playing together anymore. The girl was already starting to become a tween and a teenage. She didn't want to play with her little brother. Right. So we're like, oh, we saw how Gabriel really suffered during that transition. And there was six years in between Gabriel and Elijah. Right. And so we're like, uh, this, we're gonna, he's gonna feel bad. So we actually, Asher was a planned pregnancy. Mm-hmm. We were able to bring our marriage back together and we had Asher on purpose. And Viviana knew mm-hmm. when Asher was eight months old. Mm-hmm. And I told her that she was overreacting, that she mm-hmm. was just, and she was just like, no, he's different. He's not like the other babies. He doesn't look at me. He doesn't smile. And we always used to joke around like Asher's going to grow up to be this gangster. You know what I mean? He doesn't <laughs> smile at anybody. He doesn't like to be touched. He doesn't like to be held. Right. You know, he just wants to be left alone. All he wants to do is watch his SpongeBob and right. sit in his rocking chair like a little gangster. Like, bring me my food, you know? <laughs> um, but uh, we actually had Asher on purpose so that Elijah and Asher could, you know, grow up and, you know, right. Elijah could have right. a playmate. Right, right. And uh, Elijah is all boy. Yeah. He's bouncing off of the walls, screaming. He wants to hug. He wants to wrestle. And Asher is the exact polar opposite. opposite. Asher needs everything to be quiet yes. and serene. Yeah. He doesn't like loud noises because he's on the other end of the 
spectrum unless your sensory system is on overload. Like, I cannot take myself, if I was to do this interview in Asher's room, he would be going super saiyan. He would be screaming his hair off because I seriously think that that guy has supersonic hearing. He can, maybe he can hear the radio frequencies of the phone transmitting and receiving data. Um, But yeah, he he is, his ears are very, very sensitive. Um, Asher's four years old and I've never gotten a hug from my son. Uh, He's four years old. He just turned four in February. Mm. He does not speak. Um, He is nonverbal. He does not find uh, Asher primarily speaks uh, through body language, mm-hmm. clapping. He points with his eyes mm. and he screams. Yeah, and so, yeah. you know, even for us, like Viviana, I remember Viviana was when, 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 when Asher was finally diagnosed with mm. autism, he was, he was very, very depressed. Mm. He was very, very depressed. And, and it was very, very hard for her. It yeah. was very, very hard for her. You know, the realization of being a, a parent of a special needs child, mm. it is, very very challenged yeah. it is very very challenging yeah and, and was so, she, uh, did she stay home or was she working yes she stayed home she stayed yeah home. she stayed home yeah and she took care of the kids yeah. Yeah. How, um, so now with her, once she kind of had an idea of you or you both kind of learned that she was on some form of on the spectrum herself and now she's taking care of the four kids, all very different, sounds like very different personalities, um, you know, as you said, all in different levels um, in terms of special needs. How did she handle that? How was how was she as a mom? Well, I mean, it was, it was, it was hard for her in the beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, it was really, really stressful because, you know, think about it. We had two babies back to back so that they could play together. And now you have to keep them completely separate in the house. Mm. So it was, it was very, very challenging for her. It was yeah. very, very challenging. Um, I know I used to get the, the, the phone calls all the time. Michael, are you, are you really that busy at work where you cannot come home? I mean, because for some reason, you know, God and his infinite with, you know, mm-hmm. um, Elijah was her baby. Yeah. And Asher was my baby. You know, yeah. Asher is my person. You know, yeah. Asher, I'm Asher's person. I think, um, and I, and I found this to be true with a lot of parents, um, even not single parents, even when there's both parents in the home, a lot of times, uh, a child on the spectrum will choose mm-hmm. a specific person mm-hmm. as their primary caregiver. Right. And so I've always been Asher's person. Mm-hmm. Um, Asher did not let his mother hug him. Mm-hmm. He, would, he wouldn't let his mother hug him. He wouldn't let his mother really touch him or anything mm-hmm. like that. But he would do all types of things with me. And it's yeah. funny. It's funny because Elijah looks just like me. He's my mini-me. He's mm-hmm. a carbon copy of me. And if Yana was a boy, she would look just like Asher. Mm-hmm. And so it, it was always like, oh, that's my little baby because yeah. it's a copy of my wife, you yeah. know? He looks just like her. And so it, it, it was, it, it's, it's been extremely challenging mm-hmm. to, you know, there, there, there's no words to express how hard that was in the beginning of realizing, you know, that we were going to be dealing, uh, you know, with children with special needs. It, yeah. Coming to grips with it is extremely difficult. But here's the thing, though. Like, we found strength in it. Because if Asher had not been born Mm -hmm. with autism, because we didn't even really go deep 
into the screenings and the testings and everything else, we just thought Gabriel had ADHD and Elijah probably had the same thing as Gabriel and he was going to be fine because Gabriel's going old, he's fine, he went through sleep therapy, and this kid is a walking encyclopedia. I mean, his he's every single person that is on the spectrum has some innate superpower, you know what I mean? They're capable of doing amazing things because they're not wasting all of that brain power on socializing, you know, what's, uh, what's appropriate, what's inappropriate, do people like this, do people like that? No, their brains are learning mm-hmm. a whole lot of other things just not socializing. Mm-hmm. And so we weren't really too concerned about it. We didn't do a whole lot of research. We didn't even bother putting him on any medication, you know, really strong pharmaceuticals or anything like that because he didn't need it. It wasn't a behavior problem. But when Asher was born, we really got into having them scream and everything else. And when we did that, mm-hmm. and, you know, we're going through, uh, you know, interviews and they're asking does this person do this do they feel like this do they feel like that is there any history of this family and everything else mm. that's you they're, they're talking about you they're talking about you i need to have you screen yeah. you need to get your head checked <laughs> yes oh. and so it was really like it was really like eye-opening, eye-opening. once it helped her to be happier to help her to yeah. understand herself to help me to understand her to understand you know, why sometimes our house was so tense. Yeah. Um, because it wasn't, it wasn't just the fact that, you know, it, it was just me and her and we didn't have any family living in North Carolina. I mean, we moved from Miami, Florida to North Carolina in 2008 and we didn't have any family right. here. All we had was a, a small church family and that was it. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad lives in Maryland. My mom lives in Seattle, Washington. Yana's family's back in Argentina. It was us against the world. Right. So we didn't have, you know, oh, well, we can take the kids to, you know, mom's house and drop them off for a little bit. You know, date night was, hey, we got to be home in a couple of hours, you know what I mean? And so it, it, was, it, was, it was very, very difficult. Yeah. It was very, very difficult. I think it's amazing how when you start to get answers, like um, whether, you know, even if it's not a diagnosis, but just understanding someone's personality and why they do what they do um, and then getting those resources to kind of help. Um, it makes such a big difference. So I'm sure for her, she probably felt like just such a sense of relief um, mm-hmm. to kind of finally understand who she was better, but then also being able to understand her children on a whole different level. Yes. Yes. It was so much easier to understand. Okay. Well, I'm not just a grumpy person, you know, there's, there's actually something going on here on a chemical level in the brain. Right. And so, you know, coming to that, you know, knowledge is power, right? Exactly. And so, you know, knowing those things and, and, and it really did set us free. And so our marriage really started to strengthen awesome. and things and things were things were getting so much better things were getting so much better mm-hmm. uh you know business was getting better mm-hmm. you know we were uh growing financially um i bought her a motorcycle you know awesome. and uh yeah and, yeah. and she loves to ride now, we are going to talk about her riding. Just real quick, if you could give us a little snippet on, you mentioned that your marriage was struggling. And how did you make it better? How did you guys repair and, and just start to come back and, and create a stronger marriage? I, I, I took the first step because 
she came and and, and 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 she told me that you know she wasn't happy you know i i really wasn't doing it for her anymore viviana she didn't have a filter you know she was going to tell me exactly what she thought and she was just like you know i'm just not happy mm-hmm. and she's like and you're not happy and if we're not going to be happy then what's the point you know i know we're here with the kids and everything we've got four kids especially these kids this is extremely difficult she's like but i want to be happy and now you know if if this not going to work, then it's just not going to work. Why do we want to wait another four, five, ten years? And so I I really really did listen to my wife, and I said, I did, babe, you know, let give me a chance, okay, <laughs> give me a chance. Let me work on my game, and I, and I and I really went to work. I mean, I started reading books, I read the five love languages, and I shared that with her. And I was, and it helped me to understand her. Mm-hmm. Uh, it helped her to understand herself. Her yeah. primary love language uh, was quality time I was gonna through say. quality communication. Yeah. And her secondary love language was giving gifts, which is what once I could see that, yeah. and I was like, oh my god! Like Viviana is always like buying us stuff. I mean, this woman just loves to shop, but it was her way of showing yes. love because. She didn't have it in her. It wasn't her nature to be affectionate and right. funny. And so, and so just understanding that that was not her way of communicating her love for me yeah. really helped me to appreciate her more, to be, you know, less demanding of those things that I needed so much and more focused on giving. Because yeah. in a healthy relationship, you shouldn't feel like you're losing out. Yes. You should really feel Like, no matter how much you give, you always end up getting more out of it than what you give. And so it's an incentive to continue to give more. Yes. Um, No matter how much you give. Right. And if if you have a man and a woman that are together and they're they're whole in themselves, I'm a firm believer of this now. Yes. And and I'll stick to it to the day I die. Most relationships fail because you have a person who is feeling incomplete or unhappy looking for another person to fill a void. Yes. Amen. And that's a recipe for disaster because then you have two parasitic beings yes. trying to feed off of each other mm-hmm. to, su- to supply a need. And what do you do when, when you suck that other person dry and they're at their last wit and they can't stand you anymore? Right. Bad things happen. Right. But when you have two people who are happy and whole as independent individuals, right. they have their own lives, they have their own goals, and when they come together, they, they enjoy each other's time and company so much yeah. that it adds value to their lives, right. being with that person and doing those things in common. You know, most people don't, right. don't really interview people when they try to enter into a relationship. It's all based on, okay, is this person aesthetically pleasing? And are they in the more or less on my level yes. in life, yes. right? But, you know, you need to start asking that person some serious questions. Yeah. Because if Absolutely. my dream, if my dream of where I want to go is to be milking cows somewhere, <laughs> and you want to be traveling the world, well, I'm entitled to my dream. I'm going to be happy milking cows. And you should be happy traveling the world, but our dreams don't match. So right. we really shouldn't be planning a long-term yes. relationship together. 
And so people don't do that. Yes. You know, they don't ask themselves those gut questions. You know, what is it that I really want yeah. out of life? Yeah. What is it that I really want to, what is it that I'm bringing to the table in this, right. in, in, in this relationship? Yeah. And so, yeah, I stepped up my game on every level. That's awesome. I became romantic. I was writing poetry. I mean, I used to drive a lot. I, I would have to drive long hours, you know, to different projects and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I know you're not supposed to do this, okay? <laughs> if it gets North Carolina law, please don't send the police to lock me up. But I would literally be writing poetry to her yeah. on my way to and from work. And so it's so going to take honest effort. You know, you're going to have to really, really work it. If you want something bad enough, mm-hmm. you will do whatever it takes. You will give up your sleep, your treasure. You know, most men, you know, don't, don't, don't really take the time to invest mm-hmm. in their wife. Yeah. Like, I was invested in my wife. I'm like, glad you said it. <laughs> yeah, Because yeah. I think, and, I, think and, and I find that they, a lot of times, and you, please correct me if I'm wrong, I just feel a lot of times once men get hurt... Then they get like in their feelings and they're like, but what did I do wrong? And they start to think of all the things that they did right. And they don't want to look at what they did wrong to fix that. And then the woman's kind of sitting there like, see, that's exactly what I was talking about. Like, and Mm -hmm. um, so then and they don't take that time, like you said, to invest in like saying, no, how can I make this right? Like you saying you read and the five is your love first love language affection. No, my uh, my primary love language is words of affirmation. <laughs> Go figure, right? <laughs> I was going to say... My primary love language is words of affirmation yeah. followed by uh, physical affection, physical okay. touch. I was going to say probably the opposite of hers, right? Because you wanted to give all of that. But so my husband and I were separated. It's like, you know, it's kind of odd. We were separated for a year and a half. And my husband did exactly what you did. You know, he started reading. He started seeking, you know, advice and mentorship from other men who had done it well. You know, he started to really... Yes. Learn from successful people. Do not go and ask marriage advice from the person that's had four divorces and is about to enter into their fifth divorce. Do not. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, so... So I think it's awesome how you took those steps and because it reminds me of what my husband did and I did the same thing. And after a year and a half, we were separated. We were able to reunite, you know, and um, and work on our marriage together. So so that is awesome. And, and the five love languages, let me tell you, we love that. We took it. My kids have taken the test. I have learned some things about my kids because you know they have one. You will learn some things about yourself because actually breaking it down like that, yeah, and just putting it into plain English. You know what I mean? Can you? Don't just tell me. It's real easy. You know what I mean? A lot of times, you know, I would be sitting in the church and and I would hear people say things like, "Yes, love your wife as you love yourself," Mm. and you have to love your wife and honor your wife as you do the Lord. How do you do that practically on a day-by-day basis? Like, give me a roadmap. Show me what that looks like. You have to be able to visualize it. And until you see somebody who has done it successfully before you. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to fail because there's nobody that's been there and done that. I can tell you, hey, watch out for that pothole. Yeah. Don't step in there, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so you, you, you need that guidance. Yeah. You need that guidance. 
Now, have your kids taken the five love language test? My oldest daughter has. My the youngest boy. Yeah, the younger ones are. Yeah, because yeah. I, I thought it was neat that he came out with the teen ones. My, so it was, we love it. Because I learned yeah. my um, 16-year-old, she was never really very affectionate, um, very cold growing up. Um, and... Uh, you know, I had mentioned to you, she was one that had like auditory and language processing disorder. And, um, and it, for her, it started right around nine months. She ended up like being in the hospital for really bad asthma for like a week. And then after and she was on a steroids and everything. And I always like attributed to that because afterwards she just seemed so like stone, like not really much expression. So, um, so she was just not affectionate. So it wasn't until we moved to North Carolina for a year when we started to really get close and she started talking to me. And at this point, she was 15, turning 16. And she, um, this girl started talking to me. We started getting closer. And just this few months ago or weeks ago, we did the five love language for the teenagers. And her number one love language was physical touch. We were blown away, blown away because we're like, we don't really like we hug her, but not a lot because she always seems so like, don't touch me or, you know, I need my space. And um, and it was pretty amazing because since then we have been trying to hug on her as much as possible and I'll hug her. And, And the other day, you know, when you mentioned how, you know, your Viviana, your wife, not getting a hug from the child and I know what that means to a mom the first time I saw her results I just hugged her and I was like I have my baby back and I had this moment of just feeling like even though I had been affectionate with her but just knowing it was her love language like met so much because I felt like it gave me permission to now like no she wants this hug and um and now we've been finding her you know she'll come and she'll like give us a hug more like before she leaves and stuff like that um so sometimes um you know it's amazing what we can learn from each other and um how speaking someone's love language you know how it means so much to the person receiving it, you know? Yeah, most definitely. And being just being able to communicate in a way that's effective. Yeah. Because what's the point of me wasting all of my energy? And, and one pivotal point was for me to understand that men and women are different. Yes. yes. We are different. We are equal, but we're different. And it's, uh, and it's good to, and it's healthy yeah. to understand that we are just different. Yeah. The way our brains work is different. The way we process information, you know, men are very single-minded, very, very bad at multitasking. <laughs> Women, very, very good at multitasking. Yeah. You know, men are not good liars. Mm-hmm. Men are not good liars. Women are. Women will, you can ask a woman something, she tells you a lie. You ask her 10, year late, 10 years later, she's going to tell you the exact same lie. <laughs> a man tells you a lie ask him in three days and he's going to be like, what? (laughs) And so, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, you know, there's, there's, there's inherent differences to how men and women interact. And when you want to affect that effectively, Mm -hmm. you need to have some tools, Yeah, you know, just, just throwing stuff at the wall and and seeing what sticks doesn't really work. You waste a lot of energy, time, money, you know, and and it's just really not worth it. You've got to, You've got to educate yourself in whatever you want to be successful in, you know, 
And so I became, I became, you know, the all around loving husband you know I, I i mean i was always a good man i was yeah. always a good man and and i remember when we had that talk and Rihanna was telling me she wasn't happy she's like michael you're a really good man and i know you've got the best intentions in the world and you're a hard worker and you're an amazing father mm-hmm. you're an amazing father i have i, I have no complaints mm-hmm. in that area yeah but you could be a better husband mm. as a woman, like being there for me. I like, I need you. Yeah. And so I, I, I worked on that. It was worth the extra time because when did I have any extra time to be reading books? I mean, I was running my own business and I was doing the job of eight different employees at the same time because mm. I was a one man army and I wanted to keep my overhead law. I was trying to yeah. build a brand and, and, and do all of these other things. And so I was just like, oh, you know, we have this special needs kids and Asher. Asher, from the time he was born, I mean, just now, recently, since Viviana died, has he even begun to sleep more than six hours at a time? Wow. Uh, because a lot of times kids with sensory overload, um, you know, issues, they, they have trouble sleeping and staying asleep and they stir. And yeah. there, were, there was a good two years there where... Mm-hmm. We didn't sleep. Yeah. We were always tired. We were always yeah. stressed out. I mean, I remember I, before I had to go to work, I would have to make Viviana an espresso and give it to her. And she'd be like, all right, you can leave in about 10 minutes once it kicks in, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, it, but, but if you really, really love someone yeah. or something, there's going to be absolutely nothing that's going to stop you. Yeah. You just have to want it. Yeah. Now, you have to be willing to, to to equip yourself with the tools to actually get what you want, yeah, you know, just, just wanting it isn't going to make it, right. you know, fall from the sky. Yeah, you have to invest the time, the energy, money, whatever it takes. When did you have that conversation with her that she told you that? How long ago was that? Like December of twenty seventeen, okay. and so we were, you know, right before she died was kind of like me starting to see the fruits of my labor, yeah. you know what I mean? For that previous year, you know, things were starting to change and we were going out much more and we were spending more time together and everything was better. I mean, everything were grown, everything from sex, everything was better. Awesome. You know, I really, I upped my game on every level. That's awesome. Everything was better. There was a point where she couldn't get her hands off of me and I was <laughs> loving it. That's yes, awesome. it was amazing. And so I was working a lot and, you know, we ended up uh, qualifying for a mortgage. And mm-hmm. and so we ended up buying the house in June mm-hmm. of uh, 2019. It was supposed to be our 16-year wedding anniversary gift, right? Yeah. I was like, here, baby, we got our dream house, you know, our yeah. beautiful house, you know, 4,000 square feet, five-bedroom, five-bath, and a gated golf community. I was like, yeah, we, we did it, baby, yeah. we did it, you know? And we were really, we were really, really looking forward to, you know, turning over a new chapter in life, yeah. you know, starting, starting new. Like I said, I, you know, I bought her a motorcycle for her birthday mm-hmm. and she, she used to ride motocross and, you yeah. know, jumping bikes and dirt yeah. bikes and stuff like that back when she was in Argentina. So she couldn't, she couldn't wait to get back on the bike. And she yeah. insisted that I learn, yeah. you know, to ride with her and everything. And uh, I, I went on the bike a couple of times. I took yeah. it around the block, but I was scared because I didn't know what I was doing. I was like, I'm going to hurt myself yeah. with this thing. But she was just so fearless. Yeah. I mean, she loved everything 
Devanna, when she was young, she did base jumping, skydiving, wow. bungee jumping. Yeah, she was an adrenaline junkie. So <laughs> that's really, really what made her happy. And when I bought her the bike, she was like, okay, Michael, you kind of like, he did it, he did it. He scratched my itch, you know, you scratched my itch. Yeah. I mean, she was going to buy it regardless, you yeah. know, one way or another. She wasn't waiting, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, she didn't yeah. really need my permission to do what yeah. she wanted to do, but. Yeah. But yeah, so I, I bought her the bike for her birthday. Yeah. And so on the last day of moving into our dream house, I remember that day. Of course, I remember that day. Mm. Uh, it was two days after our wedding anniversary. It was a beautiful Sunday. Mm. Very, very hot outside, middle of the summer. Mm. So she gets on the bike and we're going to rent a, a U-Haul, a little utility trader. So I I get I get Gabriel in the Escalade and you know we uh, we had to come back because I had forgotten to get the tow hitch and she was mad she was mad but she's like you know what I'm gonna get on the bike and I'm gonna drive to Selena's house which was her best friend and she was supposed to pick her up and they were supposed to ride back mm -hmm. you know to the house and so we 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 made it to the uh, to the U-Haul location and. Um, I went inside to rent the U-Haul and that's where I left her. Mm. You know, that was the last time I saw my wife. Mm. She was in the parking lot sitting on the bike. And by the time I got back, I asked, you know, she was gone. And I asked my son, you know, where's mommy? And he told me she was, she was going to go to the gas station and get something to drink. She'll meet us at the house. <clears throat> and so I got in the car and, you know, the trailer was already hooked up and everything. And, and I started to drive and, As I'm driving, I come upon an accident. They had an entire overpass blocked off. And so I had to take the detour to get home. And so I got to the old house, and it was just miscellaneous stuff that was left. You know what I mean? So I, I got into the old house. I started looking around, making a game plan, seeing what I'm going to put in the trailer where, and, and you know, just looking at where I want to set the, the trash bags for the, you know, the junk removal guy, you know, to take the stuff to, away to the, to the dump. And, you know, minutes start going by and she wasn't there. And, uh, so I start to get worried and I call, I called her best friend because I knew that, well, maybe she just went, her best friend lived around the corner. I was like, maybe, maybe she went around the corner. So I called Selena and Selena's like, no, she's not here. She said she was going to come here, but, and, and I'm calling her, but she doesn't answer. And, and that wasn't really, you know, uncommon because if she was riding the bike she didn't answer her phone but the thing that was weird was it was going straight to voicemail mm -hmm. it wasn't ringing and her just not answering it was going straight to voicemail you know i started to get a little worried and i and i and i called denise just my daughter and i said hey listen i need you to i need you to keep calling mommy mm -hmm. don't stop calling mommy because i i you know mm -hmm. just don't stop i can't get a hold of mommy And uh, I need you to just don't stop calling mommy until you get a hold of her. Mm -hmm. And she's like, why? Is there something wrong? I was like, no, no, there's nothing wrong. Just don't stop calling mommy. Mm -hmm. And so I asked my son, I said, Papi, you know, how long was I gone? How long was mommy gone before, before I got back? Mm -hmm. And he's like, no, she was gone for a while, like at least 10 or 15 minutes. I was like, no, she should be here by now. Because I knew even with the detour and everything, mm -hmm. she wasn't very good at directions. She could have gotten mm -hmm. lost or something like that. But she knew the neighborhood well enough that she was going to be able to find her way home. Right. I told my son to get back in the car and I drove back to the accident. And I remember I had to pull off to the side and 
had the trailer on the back of the Escalade, and I just pulled off to the side of the highway, and they had the whole overpass blocked off, and I walk up to the cop car that's there, and I'm like, listen, um, I'm not able to get a hold of my wife. She was supposed to be coming through here. Can you tell me if there was a motorcycle involved in that accident? And the cop told me yes. Mm. And my heart sank a little bit. And I'm like, okay, well, my wife was riding a motorcycle. She was, I knew which way she was supposed to have gone. We were so close. And um, he's like, okay, well, wait here. I'm going to have somebody from the accident accident scene come and talk to you. I don't have any informa- any more information other than that. I just know that there was a motorcycle involved in the accident. So I'm like, okay. So I've got my son in the car, and I'm sitting there waiting, and uh, I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and I'm asking the cop, hey, can, can you have somebody come talk to me? You know what I mean? Because I'm here pacing back and forth, and I'm calling Viviana, and I'm calling her best friend, and I'm calling Denise. Has anybody gotten a hold of her yet? And then I see an ambulance leave the scene. No lights on. And I'm like, oh, well, you know, the accident can't possibly be that bad. Mm-hmm. They weren't even in a rush. You know what I mean? So it's, whatever it is, I'm sure whoever's in there is just fine, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, a, a bystander pulls up. Pulls up and he parks in front of my car. And he's like, hey, did you know the person in the accident? I was like, I don't know, man. I, I, you know, I just, I'm looking for my wife, man. I can't get a hold of my wife. She was supposed to be riding right through here. And uh, I'm just trying to figure something out. He's like, I know a lot of, you know, because the, the motorcycle community in Fayetteville, they, they, they're really tight. Yeah. There's a lot of motorcycle accidents in Fayetteville. So he gets on the phone and he starts calling his buddies and stuff like that. He's like, yeah, I have some people that uh, came up on the accident and whatnot and, um, what kind of bike was it? Does it look like a Harley? And my heart sinks because it was a Honda Sabre, but it looked like a Harley. And so I'm there pacing back and forth. I go and I talk to the cop and he's like, hey, just, and he gets out of the car and he's like, you need to just be patient because he sees me that, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kind of losing my cool. The bystander tells me, he's like, hey, your wife, was she a white lady? And I just say, yeah. And he's like, that's her, you know. And I, uh, I told the top, the cop to himself and I ran towards the accident. I'm running up the, I'm running up the overpass. I'm running up the overpass and I get stopped and I can see the motorcycle. I saw her bike Mm. and the whole front axle was gone. The whole front axle was gone. And I get stopped by a a male cop, a female cop and a paramedic. And I'm trying to push past them and they're holding me back. And I was like, I got to get down there. My wife is down there. My wife is down there. And they're like, there's nobody down there. There's nobody down there. There's nobody down there. And I was like, I got to see. I got to see. I told them, I'm looking for my wife. My wife is down there. And they're like, what's your wife's name? And I said, Viviana Coria. And I just saw the look in the cop's eyes, you know. Mm. I saw the look in his face. And he told me, I'm sorry, your wife was in an accident, and she didn't make it. Mm. I just broke down, you know? Yeah. I started screaming, mm. oh, God, no, you know? you got to be kidding me. This isn't real. Mm. you got to be effing kidding me. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, they had to pick me up. 
and the uh, female paramedic helped me walk back to my car. I drove to her best friend's house. I let them know I put my son in her car and I had them follow me home. And I had to tell my my daughter that mommy had died. Needless to say, that was rough. Mm, I can't even imagine. That was really rough. Wow. I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. So she was in the ambulance. She was in the ambulance. Mm. And unfortunately, we were not able to have an open casket. I miss her every day. I'm sure. Wow. How you miss her every day. How are the kids doing? The kids are doing okay. As well as could be expected. And I'm very glad that I, uh, you know, it never really occurred to me until much later on, you know, after the accident, when people kept on, the same compliment kept on being given to me. You know, when I would tell people the story, because some people would say, oh my God, that sounds like a bad movie. Mm -hmm. That's so tragic. That's so horrible. I mean, just as you guys are moving into your dream house on the last day, she gets killed on the motorcycle that you bought her as a birthday present and Oh my God, like, what do you say to somebody who's just been left a single dad of four special needs kids with a little baby, you know, that's mm-hmm. autistic? Mm-hmm. And everybody would tell me, you know, you're, you're, you're doing something amazing. How are, how, are you, how are you handling it? How are you keeping it together? And for the first 30 days, I really wasn't, you know what I mean? I, I, I mean, I made it through... The first 10 days, it was like I was a ghost. Mm. It, I, was, I was empty. I didn't even want to believe it was real. Yeah. I, kept, I kept on believing that I was going to wake up mm. and she was going to be there. You know, that I was going to open my eyes when I woke up in the morning and she was going to be there next to me, you know. Mm-hmm. It was so traumatic. Mm-hmm. You know, I still had, you know, we had made love that morning, mm-hmm. you know. The bed wasn't even made. When I came home, I was still stepping around, you know, all of her stuff. It was it, it was very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. That, 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 that first week, I was barely holding it together. Mm. Barely. But everybody kept on telling me, Michael, oh my God, you're doing such an amazing job because I was able to push through and I chose a funeral home and and I actually put something, her, her funeral was beautiful. Mm. I even sang at her funeral. Mm. I watched the recording. I never knew I could sing like that. Mm. You know, I had my father in tears mm. sitting next to me at her funeral. But I was doing all of these things and I didn't really understand how I was able to do them. I was able to get through it because I know, hey. A lesser man, you know, falls apart, throws his hands up in the air and, I don't know, puts a, puts a gun in his mouth or dives down an alcohol bottle or starts mm-hmm. putting needles in his arm or, or says, I can't deal with all of these kids. I can't do it. There's no way to, for me to do it all on my own. And, and to be quite honest, it never even occurred to me. Mm-hmm. Like I remember one, one woman that was at a bank and uh, she was telling me her story. Uh, about how her husband had died and she was an older woman and and she's like but 
you know, a, a lesser man would have given up the kids. Mm. And I was like, that never even occurred to me. Why would I do that? Those are my babies. Mm-hmm. I have to take care of our babies. Mm-hmm. And, but I, I, I thought about it and I thought about it and I thought about it. And I was like, you know what? That's what happened to my friend when he was 17 years old. His mother died suddenly. His father remarried almost immediately. And that woman did not want to raise a teenage son from another woman. And so his father kicked him out on the street. And he literally lived homeless. I saw that boy sleep under bridges. He would either climb in through my bedroom and sometimes sleep on my floor at night. And so I was like... Wow. I mean, I guess other people do kind of fold and buckle and Mm -hmm. I don't know how I'm doing this, but I'm doing it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, once I got through the funeral, then I was really faced with a dilemma because from the moment she died, I just wanted to make sure that my baby had a proper burial, you know? Mm -hmm. So I was just laser focused, you know what I mean? Trying to do that. I wanted to make sure that I gave her the best funeral that I could possibly give her because what was I going to do? I mean, I had just put down a considerable down payment on the house and we were supposed to move in two weeks and it took us over a month. So I was already over, but I had no money for that. I had no money for that. But with what I was able to, you know, get together and my father helped me, I was able. And I'm telling you, like, when you are so focused about something, and you're so passionate about it, you will, if you have to carve through rock, mm-hmm. you make it happen. Her, her funeral was at a beautiful, beautiful funeral home. Um, I had a DVD made. There was beautiful music. There was a beautiful viewing. I got her a decent casket. I was able to bury my baby with dignity, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and, uh, and I can be proud of that. Yeah. You know, I, I, gave, I gave my queen a queen's burial because that was really important to me. You know, I didn't want to bury my baby in a cardboard box, you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so after the funeral, I was left with, what now? Well, I mean, what do I do with my life now? Mm-hmm. What, what, do, what do I do with all of this pain? Mm-hmm. And I was... Devastated was not, it wasn't, doesn't even compare. Yeah. Um, I was 250 pounds yeah. when Viviana died. Wow. And within 30 days, I mean, everybody was worried about me because they saw me losing weight. Mm. I mean, the, the day that Viviana died, food, I used to be able to eat. I mean, mm. carbs, honey buns, <laughs> cinnabons, everything, whatever. I, I used to be able to eat. <laughs> Loved carbs. Uh, and so... I, I was an un, I was an unhealthy 250 pounds, mm. and 30 days later, after Viviana died, I remember I I stepped on the scale, and I was 207. Wow! But that's not from exercise. That's yeah. not healthy losing weight. Yeah. That's just no eating, no sleeping. I mean, I used to go days without eating. I didn't even the thought of eating made me want to vomit. Yeah, and I. Anything that I ate, I vomited. Yeah. And I was literally, I was literally dying. Mm-hmm. I believe I was dying from grief. Yeah. I was literally dying from grief. And I looked at myself in the mirror and I just looked sick. Mm-hmm. I looked sick. I looked like I was wasting away. And 
I remember I was crying and I was trying to shave. I was trying to shave. And I was just saying, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Like, how am I going to do this? I don't, I, I can, I hurt so hard. I want to hold my breath yeah. and suffocate myself because it just hurts so much just to keep on breathing. How do I do this? How? And I remember just at that moment, like, I know it wasn't her because she's not here. She's in heaven and she's okay, mm-hmm. you know? But it kind of like, I wanted it to be her so bad that I wanted it to be, believe that it was her trying to communicate to me from heaven mm-hmm. or her trying to tell me to, you know, to go on. But when you, when you live with somebody that long, mm-hmm. you just, and you know them so well, you know what that person would tell you mm-hmm. and X conversation, right? Mm-hmm. You know what they would tell you in a specific scenario. And so I just have, I have, I heard her saying to me in her voice, one diaper at a time, one step in front of the other, one day at a time. The shaving cream fell into the sink as if somebody had said, shave your face, you know, like tipped it over into the sink. And I was just like, okay. Okay, and I just kept on repeating that to myself. One diaper at a time. You know, when Asher is crying and a normal baby, you can change a diaper in, what, a minute, 30 seconds? Sometimes it takes five, ten minutes to change Asher's diaper because he's fighting you. He doesn't want to be touched. It's exhausting. Mm -hmm. And I would be crying, rocking him to sleep while he's screaming at night. And I don't, he doesn't talk, so I don't know how to help him. I don't always know what he wants. And sometimes when autistic children have those, you know, sensory overloads, they, they just get set off and it takes them a while to kind of walk themselves back from the ledge. And I don't, I remember countless nights just being up all hours of the night and just saying, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know how I'm going to do this. So that day, 30 days later, I I, I looked at myself in the face and after the shaving cream fell into the sink, I I said, I'm going to live. Mm. You know what I mean? I I am going, I'm not going to die. I'm not going to, I'm not just going to sit here and let myself waste away and die. I can't. Mm -hmm. I have to take care of our babies. I have those four beautiful babies that need me. And not only do they need me, Like, I'm going to show my children what you do when life kicks you in the balls. Mm -hmm. Not only am I going to live, I'm going to thrive. I'm not just going to survive, I'm going to thrive. I decided that day that I was going to have the body of a bodybuilder, even if I don't become a bodybuilder. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get so fit. I'm going to get so strong. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be so freaking successful. I'm going to make her so proud of me. I'm going to be that guy that she always told me she saw that I would be. Yeah, and, and I started. And I started. And I started just with exercise and absolutely bombarding myself mm. with positive motivational speeches. Wow. I mean, speeches, like real speeches. Like I remember watching these, these YouTube videos of these bodybuilders and they're talking about 
push through the pain. And, and, and they were talking about being able to push through the pain to see results in your body. But I applied it to my life because you can take those skills of people, you know, th- th- those, you know, those things that people tell you where they, they th- that information that they give you, those, those tips that they give you of how to push through the hard times to see the end result. Mm-hmm. And so I was listening to those motivational videos and it would be, it would be two, three o'clock in the morning and I wouldn't be able to sleep. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, what do I do? Do I lay in bed and cry or do I do something to try to make myself sleepy? So I started with pushups. I was doing pushups in my bathroom. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I was just doing pushups in my bathroom. And I, then I was like, I started to feel like I was starting to get kind of strong. And so I went and I grabbed, my dumbbells from my garage. Mm-hmm. And, and then I started throwing those around and it would be two, three, four o'clock in the morning. And I was just, I would be there with tears in my eyes and just lifting the weights and listening to, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. Push through the pain. Mm-hmm. And after a while, I started to see some results. I started feeling stronger. I started feeling healthier. I had a more positive, I had a more positive, stronger mindset. And that just opened up my whole world. And then I was like, okay, well, you know what? I'm not just going to stop at getting fit and turning my body around. What other talents do I have? What other things was I passionate about in life that I've kind of like left on the wayside? I mean, when I was in middle school and high school, all through high school, I was a very accomplished musician. Um, I was student conductor of the symphonic orchestra, drum major of the marching band, saxophone section leader, women's section leader. Everything I touched when it came to music, you know, I was really, really good at because I poured myself into it. And I did martial arts for many, many years. And I always wanted to do that again. And so I I, I ended up starting, I signed up at a a Brazilian jiu-jitsu school and I started taking judo classes and I absolutely love it. I get no rush. Like when you're throwing somebody that's 220 pounds through the air and slamming them flat on their back and you just feel the wind get knocked out of them. It's a rush. It's amazing. And so I started getting back into that and I started getting passionate about, oh, well, I'm not just going to survive as a business owner. I'm going to become one of the biggest freaking contractors on the eastern seaboard and just consuming the power of the human mind Mm. is so powerful yeah you know but you have to take you i didn't really have anybody to tell me do this do that you Mm -hmm. know exercise and bombard your mind with positivity and you'll change your life but those are like the two basic keys, like when you actually start to study and you actually do research, like when I actually started studying on how do you, how do you deal with grief? What is grief? I mean, just understanding how, you know, the, that primitive part of the brain at the top of your spine and at the back of your skull just kind of like takes over. I mean, literally when you're grieving, it's as if somebody in your brain, it's no different, no different as if somebody had cut your arm off. Wow. That, pain that you feel that loss your brain reacts to it the same so grieving people go through a whole lot of stuff Mm -hmm. because you're just trying to make the pain stop all you want is just for the pain to stop you just want it to go away and so Mm -hmm. a lot of people turn to alcohol they turn to drugs they turn you know to to things that are really 
destructive behaviors yeah. that really leave you feeling empty. Like they don't help. They yeah. really don't help do because you, you have to come to grips with the fact that the pain isn't going anywhere. Right. Like I can't bring her back. Like she's gone. Yeah. She's not coming back. She's better off where she is. But her story is not necessarily over. Right. Amen. Amen. Her story is not necessarily over. And for damn sure, my story is not over. Right. 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 I could have done that. Right. You know, I could have died from sadness. And then what, what, what would have been my story? Right. Oh, that my wife died and then Michael died from sadness a few months later and he left his children, you know, orphans. No, yeah. no, 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 no. I told my daughter just the other day, I said, the day that you bury me, you're going to bury your superhero mm -hmm. because I am going to be the most successful person that I can possibly be in every single arena in life. Like I hear, yeah. I keep on hearing a lot of people say, you know, everybody's good at something. Learn how to master that one thing. Just because, and I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm good at so much. Right. I'm going to master everything. I'm going to become a judo black belt. I'm going to have the body of a bodybuilder. I'm going to become a successful businessman. And I'm going to help people who are grieving. I, I, I don't care. I'm going to become a huge motivational speaker because I'm determined in yes. to not let it be for nothing yes amen like, yeah what, what what do i do now right what do i do with this right there's a purpose to your pain yes and you just have to have the courage yeah. to show up right. because it all we're none of us are you know exempt from this human experience right right we're all touched by it, whether it's you know, for me, it was extremely traumatic, you know, the timing and just the whole dynamic of how she died, when she died. Mm. It was extremely traumatic. Yeah. And to be honest, it was the absolute worst thing at the worst time that could have possibly happened to me. But as I look back on it now, because of the decision that I made. Mm -hmm. I turned that worst thing that could have possibly ever happened to me into the best thing mm. to happen to me in my life. Mm. And so it's, it's all, it's like the ultimate half glass full, half glass empty, right? In life, there is nothing that is inherently good or bad. Mm -hmm. There's people that maybe are in even more complicated circumstances. I mean, what about the guy who maybe doesn't have his own business and he's working a nine to five job and he's got five special needs kids and just lost his wife. He can succeed as well. Yeah. Yeah. He just doesn't have to give up. Yes. Yeah. And he needs somebody to give him the tools and the tips that he needs yes. to snap himself out of it because grief is an extremely, extremely strong emotion. Yeah. It really, really does take over and it consumes you. It consumes you. It is extremely difficult to, to overcome. If I could ask you one more, one question and we'll end with this. Yes, please. What do you tell the person who is grieving and who has not been able to come out of it? And maybe it's six months, a year, two years, and they are still mourning and still grieving. <sighs> there is no law that says you have to grieve for a specific amount of time. Mm -hmm. You're done grieving when you're done grieving. Mm -hmm. And you know in your heart if you've been grieving too long. Mm -hmm. You're just, you do not have the courage to say, okay, 
Um, because you're not gonna you're not gonna you're not gonna take yourself out of it. If you're just gonna sit there, you'll grieve for the rest of your life. Um, and I and I think that that would be a wasted life mm. because as much as I love Viviana and as much as I miss her and everything, I know that she wouldn't want me to spend the rest of my life sad and depressed and just withering away, waiting right. to die. No, I'm sorry. Right. She loved me too much. She would want me to enjoy life, to be happy, to be fulfilled, to be successful. Yeah. You know, and so. I think that people who are grieving, um, they're, 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 they're really, really hurting. Mm -hmm. I, I know from personal experience, yeah. but I would say to them that it's going to stop when you decide. Yes. That's awesome. You know what I mean? There's, there's, you know, everybody yeah. grieves differently. Yeah. There's, there's no right or wrong way to grieve. Yes. But you know when your yes. grieving is hurting you. And I and I love how you said you know when you've been grieving too long and and you know you know when it's time to stop, right? You know. And it's, you know. And it might be not so much that your grieving just ends, right? Because maybe it's No, that's what I'm saying. Right? That's what I'm saying. It doesn't it 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 it, it, it doesn't it doesn't go away. No. The pain is there. Right. I mean, I would I was terrified right. before this but podcast, it's the you know what I mean? Between it, living and living life and living a life of death almost like yeah because you know what in life there's way too much pain to duck yeah. les brown said there's way too much pain to duck yeah. it's everywhere yeah. you, you, no matter where you go yeah. pain is going to touch your life whether yeah. it's the pain of loss the pain of rejection the yeah. pain of disappointment the pain of failure yeah. or the pain of regret yeah. how do i really want to live the rest of my life and and, and get there and be like Oh yeah. my God, yeah, I why? wasted my yeah. life. Why, why did I do that? No, yeah. the pain is there. Yeah. So you might as well get paid for your yeah. pain. Like make it worth something. Yeah. You're good. That pain is going to stay with you. It's not yeah. going anywhere. No. It's not going anywhere. So you might as well use the pain as a fuel for your fire right. and make it worth something. Yes. Because totally. other than that, it's, it's right. useless. Right. It's useless. And Make it worth something. And I will tell you, Michael, that um, you are using your pain for power almost, and you are being an amazing father to your children, um, an amazing example. And I know that you are going to impact millions, millions of lives. Um, well, I hope so. If I can save anybody out there yeah. some time, some grief, literally, yeah. uh, then if, 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 if I can share my story and it can help somebody and give someone hope who's going through a similar situation, and, and, it, and this can apply to all areas of life. Yes. You could be that business exec that just lost a million-dollar deal and you're sitting in your bathroom thinking about how you're going to do and you're thinking about throwing yourself in front of a car or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I literally just counseled a friend um, that came to me um, and, and telling me that was literally thinking about ending her life over losing a job. Yeah. And I think that when you're really, really, uh, compassionate with people, because of course, when you go through a traumatic event, like I have, mm -hmm. you have a choice. You're either be gonna, you're either going to become bitter about it yeah. or you're going to become better. better. Yeah. And so, yeah, if people come to me with their problems, I could be bitter and be like, what are you complaining about? Like, I just lost my wife and I've got to deal with four kids and this and that and blah, 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 blah. But when I actually listen to them and they actually hear encouragement coming from me, from a person that's in a real situation, that makes them feel better. Like, hey, my situation really ain't that bad. Yeah. I'm drowning in a glass yeah. of water here. Yeah. Look at this guy. Yeah. 
yeah. look at this guy. I mean, this guy's really going through it. And I'm thinking about killing myself over a job. I'll hide a job when yeah. I find this one. I'll be looking for a job when right. I find the you next one. You know, another one. Yeah. You know, I was looking for a job when I found this one. I'll yeah. be looking for a job when I find the next one. That's yeah. Awesome. And and I actually was able to help her to get to a better, more positive state of mind. Yeah. And she's already back. She's she's fine. She's That's doing awesome. fine. She's absolutely doing fine. Awesome. Now, what would have happened to her? if she wouldn't have made the decision to actually reach out to somebody for help right? and actually talk to somebody. And that's the and so, but there has to be that person that's also willing to do the talking, right? Yes, exactly. Reaching out and being willing to ask for help and going to the right person. And with that, and, and, and that would be, and that would be another uh, piece of advice that I would give to the person that's grieving. Mm. You know, when, when you're, grief is so personal Mm -hmm. it's so like you tend to clutch it you know what i mean and you feel like no there's nobody out here that knows what i'm going through there's no and that's really actually not true yeah you are not the only person that is going through what you've gone through many people have probably gone through that and much worse before you know we we kind of tend to think like our experience is so unique and it's really not, Mm -hmm. it's really not. And so, you know, being, being courageous enough to reach out and, and actually know that there's somebody out there that can understand that can identify, go to group meetings, go to therapy, speak about it. Don't, don't just, clutch onto your grief because right. it will consume you. It will consume you because when you're in a vacuum and you have no outside input of positivity, all you're going to do is just drown in a world of negative thoughts of, right. oh man, you know, like, well, how am I going to do this now? Right. I miss her so much. Right. Uh, all of the things that you share, the yeah. things that you did together. And and I'm not saying that it's 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 a bad thing to think about your loved one that's gone. I think about Viviana all the time. I talk about her all the time. But I don't let it be... Consuming. For a while there, I was a Debbie Downer. For a while there, I was a Debbie Downer. Until all of the stuff that I click, I was a Debbie Downer. Of course. But I don't let it be in a negative way. Yeah. I'm sharing the things that made us happy, the things that made us laugh. So I just want people to know that if they are looking uh, for a coach, looking for someone to speak to about life coaching, business, grieving, that you are available to them and that you would be an amazing um, person to speak to um, and to have coach them through whatever they're going through. We have... uh Facebook pages uh, for my motivational uh, speaking yeah. um, set up. I haven't gotten all of that stuff ready just together yet. Kind of like, uh, just kind of sort of decided to do this because I've kind of already been doing it anyway. Yeah. You know, um, I so I think that everything that has happened to me up until now in my life has been preparing me for this. You know, if I can save anyone else from grief, it would be, it would be selfish of me not to share. As difficult as it is to talk about, and, you know, because every time you tell your story, you kind of relive the trauma. Oh, yeah. You know, I, put my, I, I remember the day and everything, and it's like you cut my arm off all over again, yeah. you know? Um, but I'm the kind of person that, you know, 
you cut my arm off, I'm going to slaughter the wound shut, grab my arm that you just cut off and beat you to death with it, you know? <laughs> that, that, that's kind of like my mission in life, yeah. 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 I, I've got to really, not just, not just to survive, but to thrive and overcome yeah. and really do something great with my life. Yeah, yeah. And I think that God has been so amazing um, to give you, he has given you like this, he gave you this like supernatural peace um, to allow you to be able to really just get through this time um, and to be the father he's called you to be. Um, and I just saw, you know, as you were sharing your story, just how his grace was so, you know, abundant in um, in your life. Um, and it just kind of looped right back to that first date for me um, when Viviana said, you know, I'm a Christian, right? <laughs> and yeah. It just, um, I think it's so amazing how it's almost like she lived her purpose out, right? That where God drew her or God drew you to her, but used her in your life to draw you to him and how you could live a life and have your children. Um, and, um, and I just think it's so amazing how she left you with so many gifts, right? Um, well, I mean... Uh, like I said, that woman knew how to make it heaven or hell. And, you know, but, but you know what? We loved each other, the good, the bad, the ugly, you know, and I am grateful to her for absolutely all of it. Yeah. Good. She was My story's it. not over yet. No, My it's story's not. story's not over yet. It's God's not. not finished with me yet. No. I still have, a, I still have a, a lot to do. I got to take care of our babies. Yes. But uh, I'll, I'll be seeing her soon enough. Yes. I'll be yes. seeing her soon enough. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thank you again. I look forward to having you back so we can talk more, you know, about her, you know, the journey that you've been on between her passing and now and how your kids are doing. I definitely look forward to having you back. Um, but until then, you know, again, happy birthday to Viviana in heaven. Happy and birthday, um, yeah, and thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's been such an honor to have you on. And this is, like I said, this is just the beginning, right? And um, I look forward to having you back. Yeah. Awesome. Great. You just yeah. let me know when and I'll yeah. make time in the schedule between the diaper chases. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you. Wow, wow, wow. What an amazing episode this has been. It has truly been an honor to be able to speak to Michael um, just about his life and his story up until this point. Um, just the tragedy of losing his wife of 16 years um, and how he has turned tragedy into triumph. Um, you know, I've learned so much. Um, I think this has been such an amazing reminder of that grief um, and mourning um, may never truly stop. It's something that evolves as time goes on. Um, it's something that changes the way that it looks and it feels um, to some extent, but it's something that you just make adjustments to and you learn how to, you know, just overcome and be stronger as time goes on. Um, I know that his wife, Viviana, is so proud of him. Um, and I know that if she is able to look down on him, um, if God gives her that glimpse, um, I know that she is just smiling down on him um, and just so pleased um, as God has been with just the way that he is um, living out his life. 
um, at this time and taking care of his children. So again, just a true honor to have him on the show. I will um, put his information down in the show notes, um, but I hope and I pray as always that this episode blessed you, um, that it helps you to just overcome whatever tragedy, whatever you are going through in your life. I hope and pray that you are inspired and that you are just motivated to move and to change Um, your position, your place right now. You don't have to stay in a dark place. You're able to move forward and move into the light and see the good in your situation, no matter how bad it is. And I hope that you um, do that after listening to this show. Um, It's definitely a journey, but you can get there. Be blessed and have an amazing day. Thank you so much for listening to the Rebuilding Relationships podcast. I hope that I have served you on the highest level. And if I have, please be sure to share this episode and give me a great rating on iTunes so that I can continue to serve you and others. Now head on over to my website and grab your free copy of the first chapter of my book called Recreate Your Love. It's coming out soon. My website is www.passion4visions.com. And while you're there, go ahead and check out more of my services. My heart is always to serve you with much love. Have an amazing week and be sure to head back next week for our next episode. Please understand that anything shared on my show, the Rebuilding Relationships podcast, is intended to give you tips, tools, and strategies to help you transform your relationships and your life. While I am a certified coach, I am not a licensed therapist or a doctor, so please be sure to seek professional medical advice when you feel necessary. Take care.